You're listening to SA Talk, San Antonio's favorite podcast for local events, topics, and discussions involving the Alamo City. I'm your host and favorite retirement advisor, Zachary Espericueta. Today is May 21st, and this week I have a fantastic guest joining me on the show by the name of Sabrina Ortiz. Sabrina and I are actually high school classmates. We both attended Communications Arts High School here in San Antonio, but we found ourselves in very different industries as our careers went on. Sabrina is an architectural designer here in San Antonio, and we had a great discussion about commercial developments in San Antonio, how that has changed the city, and what that means for the surrounding neighborhoods. We also talked about the future of development here in town, as well as our case for better transportation methods. I really enjoyed recording this episode with Sabrina since we actually had the opportunity to record this in person at her architecture firm downtown. I also enjoyed it because we were able to have such a candid conversation, expressing our opinions about these local topics. I really want to continue that with this essay talk series. Aside from social media and online or paper publications, who is having these conversations out loud? Who is having open, honest, and opinionated discussions about San Antonio topics like transportation, commercial development, racial inequity, small business, environmental sustainability, and the digital divide, which of course is a hot topic right now. These are topics that need to be discussed, and I really hope to do that with this essay talk series, inviting guests and industry experts to provide their insight and join the discussion. With that said, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with my discussion with Sabrina. Hey guys, it's Zach. As some of you may know, I help people plan for retirement. And as your advisor, I can not only show you how money truly works, but put you in control of your money today and in retirement. If you're looking to schedule a financial review, please give me a call at 210-760-0409. Welcome back into SA Talk. Like I mentioned a while ago, I have Sabrina Ortiz joining me this week. She's an architectural designer here in San Antonio for Overland Partners. After graduating from high school from Communications Arts, with yours truly, here in San Antonio, she began her college career at Our Lady of the Lake before transferring and finishing her bachelor's in architectural studies from the University of Nebraska. She then attended the University of Oregon and received her master's of architecture. She has interned at a number of architecture firms before landing her current job at Overland Partners. I really hope you all enjoy the discussion. So without further ado, here it is. I guess explain what it is that you do here. So I am a, an architectural designer here at Overland Partners. Um, it's an architecture and urban design firm in San Antonio. I joined them in 2019 after graduating with a master's of architecture within, with a specialization in urban design from the University of Oregon in Portland. And so what I do here is I create graphics that support, draw, uh, that support projects. There's a lot of hierarchy in architecture. And so basically the more experience you have, you tend to have different roles in, in a project. Usually what I do here is modeling and rendering and creating what we call big idea books, which represent the big idea of a place. And so, you know, we talk about this all the time at work, you know, dreaming is a big part of, of work and imagining what could be is a huge part of what I do every day. Is so, it just based here in San Antonio or do you guys... Overland? Overland. Um, Overland is based in San Antonio, uh, but we have projects all over the world. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we I know that we did a lot of work in China um, a couple of years or the year before I started. Don't quote me on that. Um, but I mean, personally, I've been working in projects in Colorado, Utah. I have worked in Wimberley, San Antonio. I haven't worked on anything in Austin, but I know that the office does a lot in Austin. Why do you think they're based here in San Antonio then? Well, um, the, the founding partners are from here. Okay. from San Antonio. And so when they got together, they decided that they, they wanted to, to start their business here. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And there, I think a lot of, I think everybody that, that works here, especially the ones that are natives to San Antonio, are really excited about the potential of <laughs> Texas and about the potential of, you know, a place like San Antonio, which is not normally known as, as, a, as, a, as a downtown city, you know? Yeah, but it's becoming that way. It's or at least has become, in, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think the major, the, the biggest thing that has reignited, I guess, excitement about downtown was the Pearl. The Pearl, the, uh, the Pearl development. I mean, I think everybody knows what, what the Pearl is. Um, yeah. But it, was a, it is a huge success. It's a huge success because people from all kinds of demographics love it. People from different... Um, ages, uh, races, economic backgrounds, uh, political beliefs. Everybody loves the Pearl. People go take pictures there, you know, all the time. And 
like everybody wants to live near the Pearl and there's a lot of options. You can live downtown in an apartment, you know, very dense downtown feeling, or you could live a few minutes away and be in a neighbor in a residential neighborhood. So there's a lot to offer. There's a river walk, there's parks, you're right by Broadway, which has museums, you've got historic neighborhoods, you know. Do you feel like a project like that though increases the cost of I mean, I, as much as I get excited about, you know, walkable, beautiful spaces that are human scaled, um, you know, human scale meaning that they were designed for people, not for cars, which is what most of San Antonio is, you know, we design around parking lots, which is horrible. But as much as excitement as I, as I have about those, you know, I think the biggest issue, the one, the one that dislikes, everybody who dislikes these types of developments or who has, who has negative things to say, it, it's always because of gentrification. I mean, and there's yeah. some people who maybe don't like it, which I don't know. They're they're crazy, but um, gentrification is a huge problem. You know, everybody everybody throws a word around, and they don't. I think you know, I, I kind of have an issue with it because a lot of people tend to blame designers. They tend to blame a certain type of aesthetic. They type. They tend to to blame a certain type of demographic. There's a lot of people who like to blame the rich millennials, the rich yeah. tech millennials. You know, for for ruining neighborhoods and. Um, for increasing property values, and you know, I don't, I don't think gentrification is a is a is a design problem. It's it's a policy problem because gentrification is part is a market. Oh, I mean, it's maybe a consequence of the market, and you can't stop a market. I mean, it's it's it, demand and like supply and demand. That's like a law. I mean, right. Well, and and I see both sides to it because yeah. I, so I interviewed a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Jaime, and mm-hmm. he owns a place called Jaime's Place. It's pretty new it's mm-hmm. an outdoor community bar it's on the west side mm-hmm. um, just outside of downtown and we had that conversation and if you talk to Jaime you can tell he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because of the community that he was brought up in right there on the west side mm-hmm. um, and there are I, I love the term he always used which is NIMBY that not in my backyard oh yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he used that term a lot because they have done those kind of projects mm-hmm. as great as an organization as Haven for Hope is. Yeah. Where did they put it? They yeah. put it right there on the West side, you know, and, and it, it stinks for the people that live in that area, but it was a much needed project. Yeah. Now that said, he's trying to improve the area, right? Mm-hmm. With, with his place. He wants, I think he has plans to open up a coffee shop at some point in that mm-hmm. little area as well. He's created like a coalition of, small business owners in the area. He wants to improve the area, but in the back of his mind, he's worried about gentrification. And he wants to see his business and other businesses in the area thrive, but he's worried that as they thrive, as they grow, as they get more popular, it's gonna drive up home prices and and price people out that have been there for generations. And so I, I I think you're exactly right. Like. Priority number one should be to improve the neighborhood and should be to make it a place that you want to visit. It shouldn't have to come with the increased home prices. Yeah, no, no I know. I, I get so heated about this. I recently purchased a home in Denver Heights. And I mean, it's a semi-fixer-upper is, is how I describe it sometimes because it's definitely movable. And the neighborhood has a lot of homes that either they're in dire need of repair or they're brand new. And so I kind of found one that was in a nice middle place, especially as a young designer. Like I, was, I was excited to to put my own um, like flavor into a house, if you will. Uh, I purchased, it's a tiny house. It's 672 square feet, tiny. It's like an apartment. I purchased it for $97,000. The year that I purchased it, it was in 2020. In 2019, the house was worth, according to the tax appraisal, the Bear County tax appraisal district, um, it was worth 87,000. And so the taxes on it were like, $2,100 or maybe it was a little less maybe it was like 1800 and then when I got my house I bought it in May and then the tax appraisal because of COVID came in a little later I get a tax appraisal for and this was after closing I got it for 127000 which meant that my taxes went from about 2100 or 1800 I don't remember exactly to about 3600 in one year and I freaked out I mean you know, I, I'm lucky enough to be in a, in a you know, to, to have a degree and to be in a, in a career field. But even for me, that's a big jump in price that I wasn't expecting when I signed the mortgage. Sure, the price was going to go up, you know, and I purchased something that was under my means. But even so, I freaked out. It was one year. In one yeah. year, I didn't do anything to the house. 
I mean, I just bought it. Luckily, um, I since I had just purchased it, they let me lower it to 97 to what I paid for that year. And so I'm currently working on the protest for this year because it went back up to 130. This year, I have a homestead exemption, which just means that you get a lower taxable value of the home um, if you own it and live in it versus somebody who rents it out for income or something like that, right? And that's kind of the little relief that they give you, but it's not much. I mean, I think instead of paying 3600 for the $130,000 value, I'm paying 3100 So I can save a little, but it's still a lot of money. Right. I mean, my neighbors are seeing the same, the same thing. I hear that there's a limit of 30% that they can increase your price, but that's crazy because then it then it compounds, right? Now, now it's 30% of 130. And there's people in my, in my neighborhood that don't know if they can still afford their home because of their taxes. And it's not fair. I mean, five years ago, these homes were worth nothing. Exactly. And if you bought it responsibly thinking, okay, I can afford a $50,000 home. And I, you know, I want to live in the neighborhood that I've lived in my whole life. A lot of people are legacy owners. So the home has been passed down from their, from their parents. And it was traditionally a low income neighborhood which means that a lot of them weren't able to put money into the home to, to maintain it. And now this home is worth an incredible amount of money. And any kind and of none it, of that is their fault. And not, that's not anybody's fault, right? Like, it, it's their fault for making such a cool neighborhood that now everybody wants to live in. Like, that's BS. Like, that's straight up BS. The other, part, the, the other bad thing is that I think for some people, yeah, there's some people that come in with money and they're like, I can afford whatever. I can afford it to be a million dollars and it'll still be fine. But, you know, there's some of us, and I mean, certainly I'm not the only one, that are afraid to make improvements to the home because like I was, I wanted to have a fence in the house for the, for my dog in the backyard. And now I'm kind of nervous because like, I have, <laughs> you know, they're going to walk by and be like, Oh, your house is now worth 30,000 more. No, no. You know, like now I spent $4,000 putting a fence and now I have to pay more taxes on it because of that. Like it, so what do you think it, the solution is? Well, that's what I don't know. I think, I think it's a policy issue. I mean, I, and I am not an expert, by any means on this but i mean there's got to be more that county assessors i don't know like people that work for the government that work for the county that deal with taxes like there should be more to protect especially people who just want to live there you know because there are definitely investors that are coming in and purchasing you know um a house that's falling down and they're like hey and they have a tax liens or they're foreclosing on their mortgage they're like hey we'll take it off your hands for eighty thousand. We'll, we'll take it off you get people who don't know, don't have any other option. They sell it. And then because they're big lots, they'll put four, you know, three story townhomes in it and sell each one for three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000. They should pay their share on taxes. Like they definitely should, you know, they're right in a way. I mean, maybe it's not ill intention, but they're taking advantage. But why do you think that the city has to increase property taxes? Because of demand, because of the market. I mean, if, and, and then not to mention that if there is more, I mean, there are some good things that come out of it. You know, if you go through the neighborhood, there's new roads, there's new sidewalks, there's more maintenance on the parks in the neighborhoods. And so it, and some of the schools are getting renovated in the neighborhood. Um, if you see Brackenridge High School down in down in Southtown, it looks brand new. So money, like some of that money from the taxes is going back into the neighborhood to, to make it look better, right? And so with more demand, for higher priced homes, like when homes are are selling for you know two hundred, three hundred thousand, I have a house that's three doors down that's selling for three fifty nine right now, and it's like twelve hundred square feet. It's crazy, and that's what I'm saying. Like I don't think you can stop the market, and I don't think we should. There should be that investment if people can't afford that price, they should pay their share of taxes to improve you know the sidewalks, to improve, to add benches, to add transit lines, whatever it may be. But there should be a way to protect people who have been living there, who came in at a different price point at a different time, and who are contributing to the culture that makes that neighborhood desirable to begin with. You know, these neighborhoods are desirable for their arts, for their food. Who did that? It was yeah. It's the people who have historically lived there. And so the I think that the homestead exemption, that they reduce your um, taxable value, is a huge help. And then I think the biggest one is Alamo College just reduces it by $30,000. So, you know, it, it's a little bit, but I think they could do more there. Like, I think the homestead exemption could be higher. And that way, if you live in the house that you own, yeah, you shouldn't pay as much taxes as somebody who's making an income out of, you know, like the third, fourth, fifth, whatever property. So I think that that's somewhere that, that could start. And ever since I also became affected and like became aware that this is, that this is a problem, 
uh, personal, like from a personal experience uh, point of view, tell everybody about it. You know, I talk to my coworkers, you know, some of our, some of my coworkers also purchased homes and they're like, my house went up way too much. Like the same thing is happening. Same thing is happening, you know? And well, I think the communities that are, that are worried about it right now is like in Lo- the Lone Star District. Yeah, I mean, the you know? there was I think the announcement came out just in March or in April, maybe, that there is a new development, mixed-use development, similar to the Pearl, that is trying to um, replicate the success of the Pearl. And, you know, the, the master plan is actually being developed by the same architects that developed the master plan for the Pearl. So they have a dream team happening right now, and there has been plans before to renovate it to build something there but they kind of fell through and so this year like they kind of announced you know that they have images and they have like actual plans and phases and leasing brochures and everything and it's really cool i mean it's really exciting again everybody loves the pearl this place has very similar attributes like it's near major highways it is uh like a mile and a half from down from like middle of downtown um, on the river. It's on the river right by walk. The parks. Right by parks. You know, it's on the river walk, but on the local side rather than just the tourist area of like the river walk downtown. Um, so it's got great potential. I mean, the, the, the neighborhood is already in high demand. So this is only going to drive it higher. And while I fully support what it brings in the sense of sustainability, because I think a lot of people tend to think of sustainability as like energy and water and like, you know, solar panels, well, it's all, you know, the best way to reduce your emissions is not to have any, right? And if you can live in a place where you can walk to everything or maybe take bikes or take buses, you don't even need a car, you know? And so I think that that is a huge step in sustainability and, you know, all the climate issues that we have. But yes, and it comes with problems that I think are easier to deal with than climate change, for instance. So I don't know the solution. That's not really my area, but I've become very like passionate about like we need to figure this out and we need to stop blaming designers or developers necessarily sure they play their part but it's you know the issue lies somewhere else you know what i mean Um, well more so in policy and policy it's a policy there has to be something that can make sure that people aren't being priced out and that there's still some kind of affordable either housing or just way of living in that Mm -hmm. area what's also interesting to me is that these mixed-use development places have just been concentrated in the urban core, kind of near downtown area. Do you think any of those kind of developments will start making their way a little outside? Because, okay, and, and the reason I ask is because you bring up the point of sustainability and having a development that encourages and provides the ability to walk to different places. You know, you everything around you, you can walk to. You don't have to take a car mm-hmm. somewhere. And I think that's what's great about these areas. But we're not seeing that in, in the suburbs. We're not seeing that outside of downtown, south town, the Pearl. Yeah. You know, it, I, I think those developments need to move outward as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that's a little bit more complicated because... I, I think the developments that are sort of trying, but in my opinion, like, don't do a great job. La Cantera, you know, they claim to be a live, work, play place. And in a way that they're becoming, you know, you've got a mall with a lot of stuff. I don't know if you have a grocery store there, which is a big one that, yeah, that Not really, that, like, you need that, right? But they have apartments now and they have offices. So they're kind of trying to develop sort of a mixed use. But the issue with creating places like that is that they just don't pencil out for because of parking requirements. Because imagine if Black and Terra didn't have parking or you had to pay for it. No one's going to go. No one's going to drive. You know, people that, that are near it, that live near Black and Terra, have cars. They have to, right? Because you live on I-10 or you live on 1604. You need a car. You, you need one. And so parking costs are, he- are huge. Like it costs so much to build a parking lot, even more so to build a garage, right? You know, in San Antonio, we've accustomed people to not pay for parking which means that you're doing that for free. You're putting that cost into your housing, right? And you're kind of including the cost in the same thing, even though you're only charging for like a house or an apartment or an office space and everybody wants their own spot. And so that's one of the big issues with with developing these kind of mixed use with limited parking in places like Black and Terra. Um, I think what's cool and I think the reason why they're becoming more successful in downtown is, you know, because now, because there are some plans and there have been some move, there has been some movement 
in distances that are uh, walkable, bikeable, and and busable, if you will. They're kind of creating this uh, enclosure in downtown, right? So you have the Pearl in the north. Lone Star Brewery is going to be in the south because it's on the south southern edge of San Antonio, or the downtown area of San Antonio. On the east, you have Essex Modern City, which is also kind of a planned mixed use right now. It's They purchase the land, and so they have murals, and they have events and stuff to kind of get people excited about it. But it's, I think it's on hold. And then you've got the hemisphere development in, like, in the middle of downtown, right? So it's creating kind of these, like, nodes of activity within easy proximity to each other right and so that way like every like the connecting streets and everything start to become important start to become more relevant and so more development can happen there and it starts to kind of weave together versus if you have one development like on 1604 and it has no con- on 1604 and like i10 it has no connection with one on 1604 and 281 so it doesn't kind of it doesn't drive the same type of connectivity most of the time right um, well and when i when i bring up that that idea yeah. at least of, of kind of expanding outward it's a you know I, I picture it as a slow expansion you know you just slowly move outward and and you brought up lock and terra and I'm, yeah. i don't know if they're even trying to do that i guess they are they, they but that's it. but that's far yeah that's further further out yeah you know i think kind of slowly moving outward like that i i think would be a good option just because I want to see more communities like that where you can walk to the grocery store. You can walk to wherever you need to go to in the area mm-hmm. instead of having to take a vehicle and, mm-hmm. and hop in your car and drive. I don't think San Antonio will get to that point for a very, very long time, if ever. But I think having those kinds of communities will help at least lead you in that direction. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's complicated because there's also, you know, the people that do live in, in suburbs and that do have their cars, a lot of them do that because they like that. They like having their, you know, they're proud of their cars. They they like to have space between neighbors, more so than, for instance, like living in a condo, like living, you know, living in an apartment and sharing common spaces. People want their own backyards. And that is a mentality that doesn't just change you know, because now they live close to something like they'll still drive to the grocery store, even if it's, you know, a quarter of a mile away, because they'll go and pick up their 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 stuff and fill up their truck with it. I think there's that issue that the demand is just not there in more suburb San Antonio. I think like midtown areas, you know, I think that, that, that we could start seeing that. I think we could start seeing developments more like um, like inside of 410. Because again, they're closer to downtown where you could have, you know, like a node of activity along the corridor, like San Pedro, for instance, right? It's a, it's even designated as a transit corridor now. And you've got North Star, like North Star can, can easily connect to downtown San Antonio. And it can also create opportunities for, you know, just outside of 410. But I mean, I think it's, it's a slow expansion. And, you know, I think the easiest way for a city to grow like that is from the inside out. You exactly. Know, because everything's close, right? And then you can just start making little connections outside of that. And that, you know, but you will get to a point where people live far away because they want to live far away. They don't want, you know, I, I like, I love downtown areas because I like the activity. I like seeing people. I like that. I like that mess of it too. I like the excitement. And there's people who don't want that. There's people who are like, I want to live in my own home. I don't want to hear my neighbors. I don't want anybody to park in the driveway, like in the street in front of me. And that's not just going to change overnight. Well, I think there can be both, though. Mm-hmm. And you say you like downtown, right? And that's something that that most people, including myself, kind of just say to keep things simple and mm-hmm. say, oh, I like living downtown. Well, yeah. it, it may not be that you like living downtown. It may be that you like living somewhere that's walkable mm-hmm. or you may you may like living somewhere because there's a lot of activity mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people and your close proximity to the things that you need to get to. That may be what you really like. It may not be that it's downtown. It may just be that that's the kind of community you want to live in. So I feel like there's larger larger cities out there mm-hmm. that have communities outside of outside of the downtown area that are like that mm-hmm. and you can never you'll never be able to compare San Antonio with New York City no. yeah but the idea I have in my head when I think of ideas like that is is New York City and the surrounding area the boroughs around it because if you go and visit let's say 
my girlfriend and I, we visited, um, we stayed in Astoria, which is in mm-hmm. Queens. And it is not downtown New York City. Yeah, it's yeah. not Manhattan. But there are areas like Astoria in Queens that are, it's not downtown, but you have communities yeah. that are walkable. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's that. I don't know if you would even consider it suburbs, but it has the feeling of living yeah. downtown San Antonio because you can walk to the grocery store. You can walk to the nearest train station. You can walk to the nearest, I think it was a, it was a TJ Maxx that was yeah, nearby. Yeah. It was a Dunkin' Donuts. Like they had all these places that you can just walk four blocks to. Mm-hmm. And I think that San Antonio and, and a lot of other major cities should start experimenting with community centers like that. Well, I think what you're, I think what you're describing is what in the urban design world, we like to call a transit oriented community or transit oriented neighborhood. And, you know, I actually lived in one of those, like what you're describing in Portland, because I, I didn't live in downtown Portland. I lived about 15, 16 miles away from downtown. So it's pretty far. I mean, 15, 16 miles from here is what, La Quintera maybe? But you know what we had? A direct rail to downtown. And it was a 45 minute train ride from like a plaza. I lived in front of the plaza. So I could, I could literally just walk two minutes to the train station and that train station would drop me off in my school downtown in 45 minutes. And in those 45 minutes, I could read, I could catch up on, you know, homework, I could watch a show, whatever. And that is what allowed that neighborhood, even though it was kind of suburby, I guess it was in the suburbs, to be that, to be kind of like a walkable district within a suburb. But you can't do that unless you have transit, unless you have good public transit. And San Antonio is way behind on that. They, you know, they put out some plans on transit corridors. There is a transportation department here in San Antonio that's focusing on that. And, you know, how to improve public transportation, which is not in super high demand, you know, in San Antonio, unfortunately. And I personally love rails. I, I wish there was a light rail in San Antonio. And I think if there was, you could start seeing those those nodes, you know, those transit-oriented communities popping up. In La Cantera. I mean, if you could get to La Cantera in 45 minutes on a direct bus or on a direct train, right, in 45 minutes, you know, you might think, right. okay, a 45-minute commute where I don't have to drive, like, I can do that, you know? Right. And but- so I think that that is what would need to happen. You would need to coordinate transportation, public transportation with these communities. Like, if you you know, if you could have a direct rail to La Cantera, more people could live at La Cantera without a car and work downtown, right? Like you, or you could even stop at grocery stores along the way of yeah. the rail. So that's what I think. So that's another reason why I think you might not be seeing those, but they mm-hmm. do exist. You know, they do exist in places that have more robust public transportation. I mean, Paris, they've got the other, the suburbs are connected through, through the, through the metro, you know, same with Madrid, same with a lot of European cities. Um, you can get, you know, they have fast rails where you can get from a really far suburb to, you know, to where all the activity is really, really fast. Um, but then the, argument, then the argument becomes, okay, there's not a demand here. Because I hear that a lot, yeah. that there's not a demand here. And it's a valid argument. My argument against that is, well, there's not a demand here because it's not here. Build it. People will enjoy it. People will see well, that there's a better option out there. That, yeah. That's that's my argument against it. Is yeah. that I, I hear that a lot. That there's oh there's not a demand. There's not a demand. There's not a demand because it's not here. But I feel like it's one of those things where if you build it, people will, will come. slowly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People will slowly. I don't even think slowly to be honest. But I think people will will adapt to that lifestyle, and then you'll start seeing better sustainable developments yeah. further out of downtown. And so you can have communities yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But I think it starts at the top, and, and that's the issue I've had recently with mm-hmm. these great transportation ideas at, at the top here in the city. It's just focused around the buses, and it's like yeah. there's no other ideas. It's like a half-assed formulate. Exactly. Yeah. It's just not being formulated like, come on, there are other options out there. Yeah, and I mean, I don't have the answers. I know from working in my field, just, I mean, I haven't, I haven't been in the professional world very long, but good projects that are that benefit the community always suffer from the funding because you know if like public transportation there's no money to be made in public transportation there you know there really isn't the companies that do it have government funding you know 
they don't i mean yeah sure they they charge fares but that that's not really a huge profitable business right and it shouldn't be like you shouldn't be making a huge profit off public transportation fares it's like an, a chicken and the egg kind of issue right no i exactly. totally get it and i mean personally i know i know that you know part of the reason why i wanted to work for a firm like this is because we take on risks we take on projects that um that are trying to do a good thing and we may not get paid because the project may not happen but we try to create that vision right that vision that creates excitement those images those plans like you know if you tell somebody like hey i want to develop you know a, a mixed use transit oriented community i don't know in leon valley okay where what does it look like like what is what's the size like how many number you know what i mean and that's where they get stuck that's where we could come in but if they don't have money to pay us that's hard too right and so and then you know if this thing doesn't exist like texas department of transportation or whoever's in charge of transportation money are going to be like no nah, i think people want more more roads like <laughs> you know and the problem with roads and expanding highways is like it's like if you're getting fat and your solution is to add another notch in your belt no like that doesn't fix exactly that doesn't right. address the problem right it just allows you to create like keep the problem going right instead you need a road diet like that's what you need right you need something that's actually going to take the demand off the roads but that's that's a cultural thing you know san antonians love their cars and you know everybody gets so heated when it's like when you take away their parking when you start charging for their parking and so it's a it's an uphill battle you know it's an uphill battle that people in san antonio are doing i can attest to that there's architects there's you know there's there's planners, there's people in the city, there's committees that are fighting this uphill battle. Sure, yeah, you you know, a transit-oriented community doesn't work without the transit, but the transit doesn't work if there's no, like, funding for it. Right. So, you know, people have to make sacrifices to do that. People have to take risks, and you've got you've to have the right people getting the right people excited about what could be, and you have to be strategic about the locations of it. Unless you, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure like a really exciting, cool, like visionary could maybe just ignite, you know, a passion for it that everybody backs. But who's going to, I don't know. I, I really think like, and again, yeah. I, I'm not an expert in yeah. public transportation. I haven't worked in that field mm-hmm. before. You know, I haven't worked on committees in the city that, that, that come up with these plans. So of course, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what the process is, but I honestly find it hard to believe that if they were to propose a plan, you know, and like you said, there's visionaries behind it, that people wouldn't support it. I do think people would. I, you know, I, I agree. I totally agree, but I have, I don't have any money. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, if I had the money, if I was a billionaire, I would, I would be like, you know what? Just with my fun money, I'm just gonna hire an architect, a designer right. to like come up with these ideas. I mean, Elon for me. Musk went to. South Texas, right? He put all this money to Brownsville. Like, you, what the heck? You, <laughs> you have that. You can so do that. Like, bring need, someone to San Antonio. Yeah, bring, give me some money. Like, let's do this. But that money, 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 money is, is the biggest issue. Having the money to even put ideas out. I mean, it costs money for... it's It costs money to, to have ideas. You know, to put those ideas to paper, to create imagery, to... You know, it takes talent to have the right the right words to say, you know, to have the right backing. So that's one hurdle, right? And and there's, you know, there's investors who all they think about is money. They're like, yeah, that sounds risky. I don't know about that. <laughs> so, you know, you need the right investor who's willing to kind of see the vision and like believe and believe in it as much as you do, right? Uh, but I think the other biggest hurdle is just parking, parking, parking. Because a lot of these transit-oriented neighborhoods and other places, they charge for their parking. It's not as much as downtown, you know, as downtown prices. And like, for instance, in New York, you try to park downtown and it's like, I don't even Ridiculous. know, like $30, I didn't even try to drive $20 there. Just... an hour. And then you pay tolls. Like it's a nightmare, right? Like it's just not even convenient to have a car there. And that's why it's walkable, right? Because the convenient option is taking the train instead. Exactly. Um, but people don't see that immediately. They're like, oh my God, I'm going to have to pay for parking. This is not fair. Da, 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 da. Well, you think parking's free? Like you think building asphalt and parking lots and garages are free? Like, you yeah. know, it's it's not. Um, and so that, you know, I know that in, in our in our field, a lot of the times when we're designing a building, the building size, the building, like what it can be, the uses of the building, they're limited by parking. Like, for instance, a restaurant has to be smaller. Like if you want the more people that you have, the bigger square footage, the more parking you need. And so all of a sudden 
you look at your site and you wanted like a big restaurant and now it's like, oh, you want that big of a restaurant? You need 400 spaces. And you're like, okay, <laughs> you know? And so that, that tends to happen. And in a city like San Antonio, they will enforce the parking requirement. In, in, in Austin, for instance, they're starting to encourage you to go under the parking requirement that code says because they want to drive that 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 demand for more public transportation for parking is so expensive that the most convenient option is to bike to you know to walk to to take a bus and so it's a lot of growing <laughs> pains that come with it you know a, a question for you then sure is since we're millennials yeah and we live in San Antonio do you think that people our age and our generations and, and even younger, the ones that are just graduating high school and going off to college. I mean, what do you think? Do you think they should stay in San Antonio and help the movement? Because I think that's what you see a lot of times. And even with some of our high school classmates, yeah. right? Like the better option was to move away and go to places like New York City mm-hmm. or LA, right? That have exactly what we're that just talking culture, about. Right? That, that have that culture and yeah. that mindset. I started to see it differently. And a lot of it had to do with things that happened in my career, but mm-hmm. it was also in my life. But I started to notice it's like, why not be part of the the change here? You know, and so I don't know. That's that's a tough decision for a lot of people, either our age and younger, especially yeah. that are getting into their careers. Is do you move away because you want that lifestyle, or do you try your best to help create it here? See, I think, and honestly, I mean, this is this is one of the reasons why. I admire you so much because I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, when I left high school here, I lived in the Alamo Ranch area, which, you know, no comment. Don't even but, get me started. <laughs> no, 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 no comment. And I hated San Antonio. I vowed I was, I am never going to live in a, in a place where I have to drive 20 miles to go places. I don't want to get on a highway one another time. I don't want to see another overpass be built. Like I can't, I cannot like. I can't deal with this. This is terrible for the environment. It's terrible for culture. It's terrible for socializing. Just all, it's terrible for our health because we're on it. We're in a, we go from car to, to office seat. Like, no, not anymore. Like, I'm, I'm done. And that's why I moved to Oregon. Um, well, Nebraska, I went because scholarship, but then after that, I kind of have more, more of a privilege to pick a, a grad school, right? So I picked Oregon and Portland specifically because they're complete opposites. You know, people buy, there's traffic in the morning. On the bike lanes, like there's rush hour bike lane traffic. Yeah. I thought it was so freaking cool, you know, and I swore I was going to stay there. I mean, I was thinking grad school there. It'll be easier to find a job there. I started, you know, when I would come visit San Antonio during my breaks and especially as I was older and, you know, I started to appreciate and I got older. I started to appreciate things that I never really did before or that I didn't as much. For instance, family, culture, like. Texans and San Antonians, like they're very different than people in other places. And, you know, that's, that's, it's the the reasons why San Antonians like love each other, right? There's a lot of love here. I know you're like a huge fan or like a huge fan of like your local (laughs) teams, you know, you're so loyal. And I never really had that. I was like, oh, it sucks. Well, now that I made the decision to kind of come and work here, I did it for this, for that reason, because I see the potential for San Antonio to become and I don't want to like bash on people's taste, but like a more sustainable city, a more walkable city, a more healthy city, a city where there's more social connections in my field can happen. You know, that is something that my field can do. Architecture, urban design. I got really excited about it. I, you know, but I, I consider myself a visionary in that sense, you know, who's, I took a risk and, you know, coming to a city that doesn't normally go with what I like with what I believe or with what I like but but there's a lot of beauty and there's a lot of really cool things about this place you know and people like you who are you know doing this uh this podcast to showcase those cool things and people that don't believe that San Antonio is a real city whatever that means you know (laughs) I think that we're becoming a lot more relevant and and I see it and I believe in it you know and I want to be a part of that there's a lot of work there's a lot of sacrifice right like i could have just stayed in portland and been like all right okay i live in a city that already looks like what i wanted to look like you know they have their own issues they have their issues but but you know i could have done that i could have been like oh i'm just gonna get a job in new york and like forget a car and live my car car free like dream life but something somehow it just feels more rewarding if it's a place that means something to me you know, if it's a place where my friends, where I have memories, where my family lives or my mom's getting older, but not everybody has that. So it's kind of our job to to make other people see it, you know, the way that we see it, I think. 
do you know of any good, cool developments here happening in San Antonio? Well, Besides the Lone Star. Yeah, I mean, the Lone Star, I think, one. yeah, it's a, it's a really cool one, I think. You know, aside, all things all things considered, I think it, it's going to be a positive thing. And I am hopeful that the city, you know, starts becoming more aggressive at addressing, you know, the, the gentrification problems. And But um, the other cool one, I think, is Essex Modern City. Um, it's trying to do the same thing, but um, in Denver Heights, and that's like <clears throat> that's a mile away from where I live. So, yeah. did those plans change? Because I remember when that development yeah. first came on the scene, and it looked a lot different, or at least the renderings, right? The pictures <laughs> mm-hmm. that everyone gets excited about looks a lot different than what it looks like. Because right now, it pretty much is somewhere where there's a lot of art. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, again, architecture moves really slowly. There's a lot of funding. There's a lot of types you know permits and things like that that need to happen before anything happens it's usually just it's usually mostly money you know what they're doing right now is kind of having a temporary activity activation i suppose or yeah they're, they're having temporary activation they just took what, what buildings were already there and try to like paint them you know they try to host events there um but i think that the i think that the vision is still the same they just haven't gotten there and you know the lone star is planning to do something similar they said that while they wait for construction and the designs to kind of be finalized and everything, funding, et cetera, et cetera, that they're going to try to expand on the already existing art culture of Southtown so that pu- the public can start to enjoy that space, you know, and start to kind of get excited about it too. But yeah, there's so there's those. I know Hemisphere, so that is actually a project that we worked on. Well, I didn't, but um, Overland did on the master plan for Hemisphere. And so I know that more residential is being planned there, hotels, there's a, a like a big green space to be plant that that is being planned there, and I, that's going to be really exciting. I know, you know, I'm excited to to you know we need a, we need a large green space. Yeah, where yeah. It, like big events can happen, um, and so that's another one that I think is. We're going to be talking about that soon with Thea. Yeah, from, yeah. From Fair. So I'm excited to talk about all of that mm-hmm. and the, the developments going on there. I know we got to wrap up here, but what are some places around San Antonio that you like love visiting? The south of San Antonio, and not just the missions. I mean, it's along the missions, but like Roosevelt Avenue. If you go, if you keep going down, it's really, really cool. You know, people are so nice. Some neighborhoods are kind of they, they, there's a lot of uh, crime being reported out of them, but it's a handful of people. Most most people in these neighborhoods are so willing to share, you know, time, stories, uh, space, um, their food, their culture with you, and. And it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, the community really, really bands together. I love, I love that area. I love kind of the missions area. Um, my neighborhood, I really like it. There's a park there that is not frequented nearly enough called Par- uh, Sullivan, Pittman Sullivan Park. And it's got this awesome, oh, well, it's got a YMCA in the middle of it. So it has like that recreation aspect to it. There's, there's uh, basketball courts that are always being used uh, that need some maintenance. You know, there's, there's a uh, baseball field. There's a, um, there's just a, a little walking trail, but it has an awesome view of downtown. It's like the Zilker, I guess, if you will, of San Antonio, because you've got the background, the the skyline backdrop, and it's kind of on a hill, so you get a really nice uh, vantage point there. Um, and you go there, and people are, you know, they always say hi to you. They, you know, they're so friendly, and those are, I think those are for me some of my uh, most recent little discoveries of San Antonio. What about some local? Restaurants or coffee spots? Some local restaurants or coffee spots. Um, I love Southtown Coffee. We oh, Southbound Coffee. Southbound Coffee, yeah, with her little pink truck. Uh-huh. Uh, she used to be in Zarzamora, which was uh, kind of near South Park Mall. So she was kind of far. And I would I would go all the way out there just to get a coffee sometimes in the morning. Because I, I liked her. I liked her story. Um, I think she's one of us in the sense that, you know, <laughs> she really, you know, she believes in, in, the, in the south of San Antonio. She believes... In the culture, she loves her local community, and then she makes great coffee too. So I love that place. I really like her. Um, I I truly admire her dedication. She had to move because her rent prices went up too much, and now she's in Southtown, so I'm not too mad. Really easy to get to too. It's like yeah, for food. I mean, since I have my mom here, <laughs> uh, her house, uh, but it's not open to the public. Um, one place that I that I actually find. Super- that I was very surprised to find what is this place called Fucking Long in uh, almost in the almost area. It's Vietnamese, and it, it's similar to Sings. I mean, I think Sings is kind of more the like hipstery Vietnamese place to go to, 
that place, the food is amazing. The prices are so reasonable. And I don't even really care for chicken wings, but the chicken, the, the fish sauce chicken wings there are amazing. <laughs> amazing. But yeah, other than that, I follow um, the Sun Lunchador. <laughs> Uh, on Instagram because he's also a high school uh, <laughs> classmate. Well not, just, well, not just because he's a high school classmate. I think it's really awesome that he's a high school classmate, but he's also well and, and good friend. But he's also got great taste in food. He uh, he's he's a huge foodie. He's been a huge foodie all his life, you know. So every time I, I need a recommendation, I'm like, hey, or I go to his Instagram and I look at his pictures, like, ooh, that looks good. I'm gonna go there. Well, I'm glad we were able to to talk about. <laughs> the developments and I, I think what I really liked about these kind of conversations, especially now that I can do them in person mm-hmm. is you can sort of branch out mm-hmm. uh, into other discussions that are still related to that topic. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, I appreciate you taking time. Yeah. To well, thank you. No, I appreciate, you know, having a platform to, um, to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Having a platform for my rants, you know, because, yeah, you know, I, I, I get really excited about the things that I think a lot of millennials and, you know, newcomers to San Antonio get excited about. But then people that already live here are like, wait a second, this is, yeah, not in my backyard, you know. Um, and I see both sides and I think there are there's a lot of work to be done, um, but it's really exciting. Also look out for the plans on the transit corridors of San Antonio because, you know, there's some city, there's some streets that are designated as that, which means that the city is... He's kind of putting out the idea that these are going to be uh, streets without cars, um, with dedicated bus, like rapid bus lanes and bike lanes. And that's amazing to see. So anyway. Maybe next time you, you come on the show, we can just talk, about, talk that. about that a little bit more. <laughs> I can talk about transportation for, for hours. Yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, those are not as like, that's not as elegant or as like fancy of a topic, but it's super important, you know, and I, I think it's... Um, I think it's a step in the right direction to create those transit-oriented neighborhoods that, you know, that we were just talking about. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for my discussion with Sabrina this week. I'm going to take a quick break and then I'll be back with my local recommendation and question of the week for the listeners. This is what we're made of. The businesses that line our streets and the customers that make them flourish. As a business owner, this is your community, your members, your regulars, your neighbors. Your business is unique, so are your customers. No matter who you need to reach, Spectrum Reach is here to help you connect with the right message on every screen. Visit SpectrumReach.com to connect with a local advertising expert. That's SpectrumReach.com. Welcome back into the third and last segment of this week's Essay Talk podcast. I wanted to give my local recommendation for the week as well as a question to leave you guys for the week. So my local recommendation this week is Kimura. It is a ramen restaurant downtown and it's owned by chef Michael Sahaki. You can find Kimura at 152 East Pecan Street, Suite 102. That's downtown. So zip code 78205. It's one of my favorite ramen restaurants downtown. Uh, My girlfriend and I love going to Kimura. Even during the pandemic when they were just doing curbside pickup, we would go there to pick up our favorite ramen dish. My girlfriend usually went with the yakisoba. Excellent ramen. I've tasted ramen from different places around San Antonio and even outside of San Antonio, but I've yet to find a restaurant that tops Kimura when it comes to ramen. You know, to add to that, Michael Sahaki has an interesting story as a chef. I've been fortunate enough to meet with Michael and and actually talk to him outside of the podcast um, during my days when I was still at Frost Bank. Really nice man. And and just like I said, he's really interesting. Uh, Just his thought process and what he puts into his businesses and these restaurants and his mindset. Um, I really encourage you guys to to look him up, look up the articles that have been written about him, talking about his other restaurants that he started with Restaurant Gwendolyn and Il Forno Pizzeria. Those are other great restaurants that he owns and cooks at. I mean, the last few times that I've walked into Kimura, I've seen Michael right there with the other chefs, unlike an owner who's just kind of in the background and you don't really see them as much. I think he really enjoys what he does. Um, on Instagram, they're at Kimura underscore ramen. Kimura is spelled K-I-M-U-R-A, Kimura underscore ramen. Their Instagram, Facebook. They do have a website, KimuraSA.com. That's where you can look at their menu. 
You can also order online and put your order in. They still are doing the curbside orders, even though you can dine in. Um, it's a pretty small place, so just kind of have that expectation. Um, they still done a great job at spacing out the tables, at least the last time we went. And as far as the question of the week this week, I wanted to relate it to my discussion with Sabrina. You know, we talked a lot about commercial development here in San Antonio, what that means for the neighborhoods. And so my question to you, the listeners, is do you enjoy seeing the commercial development happen in traditionally underserved neighborhoods or traditionally low socioeconomic neighborhoods um, like we have seen here in San Antonio? I want to know, is that something that you want to keep happening here in San Antonio, or do you think we need to put a halt to it as a city? Let me know. Use the hashtag SATalkAnswers um, along with your answer. I'm really eager to see what you guys have to say and your opinions on the matter. Please put your answers on Twitter. I'd be really interested to see what you guys have to say. With that said, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of SA Talk. I want to thank Sabrina again for joining me on the show this week. Like I mentioned earlier, I really enjoyed my conversation with Sabrina. It was fascinating to get her opinion and expertise on these matters. I hope to continue these types of discussions with this series. I also hope to continue meeting with guests in person for these discussions because it adds a little different element to the conversation. It's definitely more engaging, and I appreciate that. Before I let you go, I wanted to give a huge thank you to all of the loyal listeners. I don't think I can ever express my appreciation enough. You are what makes this podcast keep going. I also want to give a warm welcome to any new listeners checking out the show for the very first time. If you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to check out my other series, Searching for San Antonio. Also, if you want to help the podcast out, please give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Want to keep up with the podcast? Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SAPodNetwork. Lastly, if you and or any business owners you know are looking to advertise with a podcast, please reach out to me at Zachary, that's Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y, at sapodnetwork.com. That's Zachary at sapodnetwork.com. With two shows now, there are even more open slots for advertising and other sponsorship opportunities. Thank you all again. Have a wonderful weekend. See you again next week and Viva San Antonio.